For our scripture today, we're going to be reading Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I'd like to use this time to share perhaps a mini pilgrimage I unwittingly embarked on during this past year of tumult. As we all know, 2020 has been cataclysmic in a myriad of ways. For most of us, the pace of life slowed drastically. Netflix was the order of the day, sales of sweatpants and PJs skyrocketed, and many of us finally got to grind through that pile of books on our nightstands. The last two books I read actually ended up sharing a startling theme, and that is a general sense of discontent with who we are. And while 2020 has exacerbated that generic dissatisfaction, let's not allow COVID, Black Lives Matter in the elections to let us off the hook quite so quickly. It feels like something that at least many of us have grappled with probably since the beginning of human history. The first book I read, The Midnight Library by Matthew Haig, captures a young woman, Nora, and her life at a point of deep despair and regret. She has very simply lost hope and decides she can't continue. After attempting to end her life, she finds herself in a netherworld. As the description of the book says, between life and death, there is a library. And within that library, the shelves go on forever. Every book provides a chance to try another life you could have lived, to see how things would be if you'd made other choices. Would you have done anything differently if you had a chance to undo your regrets? It's a fascinating premise. What if we could test drive the paths we didn't take, been the life of the party, married someone else, and where would we be today if we had? Would our lives truly be richer or more rewarding? In a nutshell, what Nora discovers is twofold. One, that we can't be a version of us to please others. When she explores alternative lives where she chooses to please, even save her father or her brother, for instance, they end up the same torn individuals they are in her real life. And two, that it's not our lives we regret living that are the issue. It's the regret itself that exacts such a grievous toll. The second book, Comparisonitis by Melissa Ambrosini, exposes the deep sense of inadequacy, unworthiness, and self-sabotage incurred by measuring our lives, our looks, our belongings, our achievements against others. You know that internal negative dialogue, right? I'm not smart, dash pretty, dash empathetic, dash athletic, dash creative, ad nauseum. I don't measure up. I recall lamenting my lack of some attribute when someone else had displayed some talent with such ease when my good friend Connie Weber quipped, comparison is the thief of joy. Yes, that's it. I asked, what wise soul came up with that nugget? To which she replied, Dave said it in a sermon. Of course he did. Actually, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt that it originally came from. <laughs> 
Getting back to my theme, both books underscore the lesson that our cups become empty when we forget who we are and whose we are. When we allow anything or anyone other than God's love to define us, we do ourselves and those who love us a great injustice. Such an epiphany led me down an extremely uncomfortable path. For instance, Romans 8.31 declares, if God is for us, who can be against us? How then do we justify our own self-sabotage? If God is for us, how could we possibly be against ourselves? Do we really have the audacity to believe that the great mystery made a mistake when we were loved into being? That we know better? If nothing can really separate us from the love of God, who are we to find ourselves wanting? This line of introspection may smack of narcissism, but placing ourselves humbly in God's hands departs dramatically from a simple agenda of self-fulfillment. Simply put, it's through losing ourselves in God that we discover our own DNA. God's entreaty is always an invitation to become yourself, someone made in the image of God, deserving and receiving love. The love that our creator has for each other and every living being across this globe is exquisitely unique and made to order. If we lived in Britain, we'd say we were bespoke. Have you ever noticed that of all the creatures that dwell upon the earth, humans are the only ones that chafe at this bestowment? Working in the soil of a manual farm on a regular basis reveals a universe where worms, squirrels, microbes, butterflies, and bees are all give glory to God by being exactly as intended. I think this really came home about two weeks ago when I was driving home from Snohomish past Harvey Field. And all of a sudden the railroad crossing came on, the gates came down, the lights started going, and I could see this whole line of cars just inserting your favorite four letter word right there. In the truck in front of me, there was a golden retriever holding court as these BNSF rail cars went by. He was barking and prancing and he, And he was having an absolute blast. He was literally thrumming with his God-given dogginess. And I look ahead of me and behind me, and everyone's looking down at their phones. <laughs> and I just imagined this internal dialogue in each vehicle. And I just wanted to say, look up, witness this. And it was just, it was just that he was what he was meant to be in, in the pure essence of what, of what God intended. It was, it was, a, it was a grace moment. It seems that we would be anything other than our true selves until we stop running from the reality of whose we are and acknowledge it fully, warts and all. As author David Benner observes in his book, The Gift of Being, every time I dare to meet God in the vulnerability of my sin and shame, this deep knowing is strengthened. Every time I fall back into a self-improvement mode and try to bring God my best self, it is weakened. I only know divine, unconditional, radical, in reckless love when I dare to approach God just as I am. Now, at this point during a sermon, I'm usually harumphing under my breath. Well, that's all well and good, but how do we go about accomplishing such a daunting task? Where's the instruction manual for this model? While we all have to blaze our own path, I've recently found that for me, it's become routine-centered prayer. Not terribly original, I know. Benner prompts us, to ask God what makes you most vulnerable and most running for cover. Conflict, failure, pain, uncertainty, loss of face. 
Allow yourself to feel the distress that would be present if you didn't avoid all these things. Then listening to God's invitation to come out of the bushes in which you're hiding, step out and allow God to embrace you just as you are. Then reflect on the image of yourself to which you are most attached. Consider how you like to think about yourself, what you are most proud of being yourself. Ask God to help you see the ways you use these things to defend against feelings of vulnerability. And then ask God to prepare you to trust enough to let go of those fig leaves that falsely define you. For me, those fig leaves turn out to be my cloak of pride and everything else that accompanies it. Smugness, superiority, and a good dollop of impatience. It's my default operating procedure in times of stress, fatigue, and vulnerability. It especially raises its ugly head around my counterparts, the caregivers, those who operate from that core of empathy and humility trigger my desperation to run for cover or risk exposure as the charlatan I am. So each day now I try to carve out about 15 minutes to practice centered prayer, usually focused around Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Some days it feels like a complete waste of time. Some days I feel transformed. Most days are somewhere in between. But over time, there's a definite sense that I'm moving in the right direction. Hopefully the takeaway today is that we have nothing to prove to or anything to hide from the grace of our Creator. Such assurance should free us from that frantic churn of thoughts and feelings and enable our hearts to rest and roam in a vaster and wider space. It's my prayer that something shared here today will resonate. And I'd like to finish with a variation of a prayer by Father Thomas Merton. So if we can all bow our heads and pray. Oh God, we are one with you. You have made us one with you. You have taught us that if we open our true selves, you dwell in us. Help us to preserve this openness and to fight for it with all our hearts. Help us to recognize that there can be no understanding where there is internal rejection. Oh God, in accepting ourselves wholeheartedly, fully, completely, we accept you and we thank you and we adore you and we love you with our whole being because our being is in your being. Our spirit is rooted in your spirit. Fill us then with love and let us be bound together with love as we go our diverse ways united in this one spirit which makes you present in the world, which makes you witness to the ultimate reality that is love. Love has overcome. Love is victorious. Amen.